Hello there, listeners of the podcast. This is Speaking Generally with your host, Stephen Hussey, that's me, and old George Taylor. Come on, uh, not old. Old, trustworthy, <laughs> dull as dishwater, George Taylor. Uh, no, I don't mean that. You're a wonderful uh, man full of pep, verve, vigour, and uh, vitality. They're not going to uh, believe that either. <laughs> Somewhere in the middle. <laughs> How are you doing, George? I'm okay, Steve. Um, maybe starting to go a little bit stir crazy. What's happening? We're uh, for for context. If you're listening to this five years from now, <laughs> for context, in 2020 there was a global pandemic. Yeah, and we're in the midst of it. If you don't remember, we were all in quarantine for several months. Um, how's uh, how's that lockdown life going, George? I mean, it's you know, day to day is fine. It's more that. When we're not under lockdown, I sort of act like we are anyway. So when it's in fort, like when it's been imposed upon me, as it were, it becomes a little bit more difficult to stomach. What's uh, what's the challenge? Well, it's just like I read all the time, and then you know when you just sort of sat around, it's like oh, you know, read a book. So like, oh, I'd do that anyway. It's like <laughs> the things I would do to break up what other people consider to be quarantine. You're not allowed to do now. Oh, right. You mean just the things sort of pass the time between... Well, it's, yeah, it's like the things I do... I need a break from the things that other people do to distract themselves from quarantine. I'm doing those anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the novelty value is wearing out a bit, but there we go. Yeah, I, um, I, I've managed... I'm squeezing in my sort of run now and then, which I haven't done for the last few days, so I am, am starting to feel a little... It's actually starting to affect my mood, so I need to get back on the horse so to speak but, mm. uh, but getting the bit of the sun like I had a lovely sort of wander and walk sit on the grass in the park and that was uh that was sort of the morning for me around Good Friday and that sort of that peps me up yeah but, the, the weather's been nice it's, it's a nice distraction from it if you're lucky enough to have a garden to sit in that it's very helpful do you do any just sort of plonking yourself in the garden with a book I mean, that's sort of exclusively what I've been doing. Oh, that is what you're doing, right. I, I have to worry. I'm going to get sunburned during quarantine, Steve. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> but you're going to get more sun now. Than <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's weird because England, England's really, I mean, the weather's really come out for us uh, in the last week or two. So it's uh, glorious spring weather here now. But um, here we are. I, I find... I find I am really that that cliche of losing track of how much time has passed. I'm starting to now. I'm. I, I, it could have been two months. I've been doing this. Could have been two weeks. Yes. It's, it's sort of really losing track. I mean, the lockdown in the UK only started like 25th or 26th of March. Uh, we're at the 15th of April today. It's not that long at all. But it everything before that feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah, yeah, I got back from Tokyo and then basically this. Um, but uh, I've got to say, I am not... One thing I'm not is bored, George. Uh, I feel I've got a haul of books around me. I've been getting through a few. I've been... A whole list of films. Um, obviously work, but work going on, writing. Um, so I feel very, very fortunate to have an abundance of uh, passions. And I've even, George, I've been learning... Um, I've been learning bloody kanji. Think about that. 
That's where I'm at. I've been. I purchased two language courses, uh, Japanese and Spanish. So ambitious. Yeah, not much crossover between the two. <laughs> yeah, and I've been. I've been even just learning the hiragana, the Japanese alphabet, just because I thought, yeah, all right, then I'll be able to understand a few signs. In, Might not uh, be able to fly there for another eighteen months, but, but yeah, never going back there. But. Um, no, but uh, but yeah, and trying to trying to sort of plod along with the. Spanish. I'm definitely using the time to get through. I think I've talked about it on an episode before. Like I set myself a list of watching every film that's won the Best Picture Oscar, and being kind of rooted in a room with no nowhere else to go really makes it a lot easier to make yourself watch Out of Africa, uh, because I do not encourage people to do that when they have alternative options. It's oh, it was diabolical. You know I don't approve of this. We've been through our gripes with the Oscars, but I don't approve of this going through the Best Picture winners because I do find there's a lot of lot of stately dubs in there. But. Oh, there definitely are, but it's more as it's just a very easy reference point to work through, right? Any prize comes with sort of arbitrary and I don't know bias traps that mean that the right things don't usually win but it's more oh this is what was considered culturally significant in 1983 and then you can use that as a bit of a jumping off point um, and is out of africa is there, is it boring is it is it silly is it schmaltzy oh all of all of the above uh it's about three hours long um oof. it's based on one of the most famous and important pieces of uh, danish writing uh, by uh, writer called Karen Blixen or that was her pen name and she was a Danish aristocrat and moved to Kenya and had a farm there and her experiences that that book is a really important book in Danish literature this film sort of takes a lot of liberties with it I think but oh it's just the most melodramatic pap you could imagine it's it's awful it's very long very slow maybe just under three hours feels like five um I mean, the cinematography is pretty good, but the landscape's doing all the work. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, if you film the Serengeti, it's going to look amazing. As yeah. Anyone can take nice photos on Safari. Um, so I think they're getting away with it a bit there. And I have to say, it used a lot of, not green screen might be the wrong word, but, you know, like old-timey driving a car and there's a video of the street out of the rear window. Oh. It's like that. It's like there's scenes where they're in a plane and you might as well be at like a theme park ride where they make you feel like you're flying. It was naff. Yeah, it's just utter melodrama. Oh, does he love me? Does Africa love me? Africa doesn't care about you. You know, it, and it, it really was, I have to say, that sort of awful experience of someone using, you know, other people or cultures to have a really transcendent moment of her own. And it's just like, it's certainly not aged well. Um, yeah, a bad, a bad film, I would say. Um, By every measure I can think of. I don't think the acting performances were good either. She sounds very German. She doesn't sound Danish. <laughs> Scathing. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I, I guess <laughs> the message is get, get out of Africa, Blixen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's what we're doing. So I feel like we're providing a service, right? I put myself through it so that none of our listeners make the same mistake. Sorry, that you're relating that to Karen Blitz in, in Africa. No, I mean no, I mean our listeners watching the <laughs> film. I don't mean going to Africa. Oh, watching the film. All right, yeah. Um yeah, that's true. You're watching it so we all don't have to. I also um, watched, I think it was the film that won maybe the year before maybe the year before that, Terms of Endearment, which was absolutely excellent. 
I'd heartily recommend that as a sort of heartwarming but also weep inducing um romantic borderline romantic comedy drama excellent absolutely excellent jack nicholson won best supporting actor and shirley mclean won best actress for it um yeah brilliant was that around sort of chinatown era no a bit later um he's really gone to seed by this time but he's playing like a big sort of fat washed up astronaut and he he's got the body for it <laughs> um i uh on a couple of recommendations, I watched the film Force Majeure, George. Fabulous film. Well, yeah. not fabulous, but very good. Fabulous, but very good. Um, and a very good execution of a, a very simple uh, squirm-inducing premise. Oh. Family sort of witness uh, a, a minor avalanche that they think is going to come straight towards them. And uh, the, father, the father sort of grabs his phone and runs and leaves his wife and children at the table where they're eating. And then uh, they find out it's not a lethal avalanche. And it's sort of the whole film deals with the repercussions of how they now see him. After well, it's like break. two hours of him sort of trying to style it out as if he didn't do it, isn't it? It's <laughs> yeah, just a really drawn out bluff. He sort of is in denial and bluffing that he ran away. And then uh, sort of, yeah, well, it goes on from there. I won't spoil it, but, uh, but yeah, it's just this, um, just one of, it's just literally one of those sort of philosophical moral questions just drawn into sort of, yeah, just all the horrible repercussions of what you would do on instinct in a, in a terrible moment or what you yeah. would. It's quite a good quarantine film, I suppose, because you get some sort of nice landscape of another place and you also get to think, oh, this is what can go wrong on holiday. You're better off staying at home. It did make me think I'm not on a squirm inducing family holiday. I mean, <laughs> no chance for some terrible vacation moment to happen yeah uh, yeah so uh it, films can be a lovely comfort in these times george they certainly can steve um so what well to let's egg neatly into this topic uh-huh. um sitting at home watching films living in your own cozy warm bubble dare i say george um a very appealing prospect. Uh, and the... Oh, George has just held up on our Zoom chat. He's held up a uh, Tesco bubbly milk bar. <laughs> Chocolate bar. So always, always on theme. Just, you know, every detail paid attention to on this podcast. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I brought this to George's attention because it's something that I've been thinking about lately. And I think it's good fodder for a kind of podcast chat. And it was a... Uh, there's an economist that uh, I follow called Brian Kaplan. And uh, he's kind of like quirky. He has some interesting views, um, but uh, works at George Mason with uh, another big economist, Tyler Cowen. But um, he's written, he wrote some stuff that he's often defended, which is the idea of living in your own bubble. And I think that's interesting because it's an idea that's very much written about as one worthy of critique the idea of like oh you live in your own little bubble where everyone agrees with you and you don't know what real people think and you know you're not exposed to the quote unquote real world and uh, or it's said as like you're in a bubble of privilege or you know any kind of kind of pejorative term and uh, he makes a case for the fact that he actually feels a lot of benefit from living in a bubble and not not a pejorative like oh i'm in a liberal bubble or whatever it is 
but in terms of a bubble of your own making, like living in your own world, deciding on the views you're going to subject yourself to every day, deciding on the kind of fodder you're going to have fed at you. Uh, so he says, um, so just to go to a, one of his original posts, which is, which is called My Beautiful Bubble, and uh, he says, um, so he's like a kind of, he kind of has vaguely free market economics or libertarian type, but he says, uh, unlike many readers, uh, you don't have to convince me that I live in a bubble. I've known it for decades. Uh, in fact, I think my three out of 20 score on the how thick is your bubble quiz greatly overstates my integration into American society. I live in a bubble within a bubble. I'm not just surrounded by PhDs. I'm surrounded by libertarian economics PhDs. I'm not just unfamiliar with NASCAR. I forget the very existence of professional sports for months at a time. I don't, watch just, I don't just watch shows for yuppies. I manage my entertainment to make sure that I never hear a commercial. In my world, Alex Tabarrok, an economist, is more important than Barack Obama. Robin Hanson is more important than Paul Krugman, uh, etc. Uh, unlike most American elites, I don't feel the least bit bad about living in a bubble. Um, I share none of their worry or scruples. Indeed, I've wanted to live in a bubble for as long as I can remember. Since childhood, I've struggled to psychologically and socially wall myself off from, quote, my society. At 40, I can fairly say, mission accomplished. And uh, basically, he goes on to say, uh, he says, uh, Many will find my attitude repugnant. They shouldn't. Yes, I step to the beat of my own drummer, but I'm not trying to push my lifestyle on others. I don't pester people who identify with America as it is. Indeed, I wish outsiders the best of luck. My only request, if you're not happy with your world, don't try to pop my beautiful bubble. Uh, either fix your world or get to work and make a beautiful bubble of your own. And uh, just to get to some of the, the meat of what he actually means. He has all these points in another post called make your own bubble in 10 easy steps. I mean, just before I go to that, George, what, what's your kind of instinctive reaction emotively to the kind of point there? Uh, I mean, as it, that's the first time I've heard what he's saying, it, it does just feel very redundant. I mean, what's the point of telling us this? <laughs> Like if you live in a like if you're unashamedly living in a bubble, why are you, why share it with others? And if you acknowledge that, you know, he's calling himself an elite. If you sort of acknowledge the fact that you do exist in a fairly ivory tower world, it's not super replicatable for others. So it just seems a bit of a self-indulgent exercise to even codify it, really, for the benefit of others. Um, it's it's good that you're aware that this exists, but I don't massively see the merit or or um transferable benefit of it for others other than stick to your own and don't complain about other people uh, i don't see what else can be taken away from it from that reading that you just provided well i think the way i look at it is that people there are a lot of people who go around as you can witness in social media online a lot of people are very very angry and a lot of the world gets people very, very angry a lot of the time. From what I see, you may say those are just the people shouting about it on social media, but I'm sure there's a lot of people who are quietly angry as well. And 
I do see the I, I see the argument he's making in the fact that why engage with the things that make you viscerally react in such a way where you find yourself like I want to spend a lot of my time not seething with anger or feeling annoyed if I expose myself to loads of you know I for example I hear about these sort of you know peripherally about these uh angry dark corners of the internet right where there's just these kind of constant angry lashing out debates uh between like super right-wing people and super left-wing people and there's kind of you know a whole world of that and i've noticed if i jump in and look at some of that stuff once i'm exposed to it for a while i think god this is really this is this start it starts to infect my psychology and you start to see that's you that becomes your world right you start to see the world in those terms you start to magnify the issue you start to think this is this is a much bigger thing than it is it's like if you see some clearly incendiary article in like the guardian or in the daily mail that's clearly meant to provoke rage at the idea that this is a mass event whereas it's probably something very small being blown up um yeah i, I, I get all that um, i do you in just saying like why would i engage with that and bother myself getting angry and reading all the comments and even bothering reading that article that's clearly meant to get people angry about something but he he would clearly be made angry by things that would disrupt him from the world he lives in he's just enjoying the fortune of the fact that he is phd educated gets to work in a think tank and has all of those things i would assume the vast majority of people don't have the privilege of having things as they want them all the time right so if he had to get on a commuter train every day or had to do lots of those things i imagine he would not enjoy all the the sort of uh, self-inflicted happiness that he gets to so i don't again i i sort of i don't see what's particularly prescriptive about it unless you've got the opportunity of of dictating your own terms entirely and i don't think many scenarios allow for that but do you not think you can i i feel like in any scenario you can still you can still edge to, at the margins you can still always and i think he does make this point where at the margins say on that commute right you can decide am i gonna um uh, am I going to listen to a lot of like vitriolic sort of news opinions on my uh, on my uh, iPhone, or am I going to just uh, listen to a lovely audio book and sort completely, of completely agree with that? But that is very different. I think there's a big difference with create your own bubble that is sort of this perfect hermetic little world where nothing can ever be against what you choose to have, versus sort of try and reduce the things that make you angry on the edge. I don't think they're the same, you know, they're on a spectrum, but he's talking about an extreme level of a spectrum that only certain people could ever possibly follow through on anyway. So I, that's my, my issue with it is I just don't quite see how you can replicate what he does unless you exist in very specific terms. It's not particularly transferable to many people, I don't think. Because what you feel, what they might, they have to go and interact with, like their coworkers. Yeah, any number of things, right? I don't know, childcare issues, transportation issues, being affected by the amount of money you earn or the politics that you are in, that are imposed upon you. Whereas, I guess if you work and live in a think tank and operate with, yeah, similar-minded people, it's 
I, I don't have a problem with this view. I just find it a strange thing to use as a sort of prescriptive device. Yeah, I, well, I I think I don't know about that because I think again, I think at the margin, people can make a difference to their, you know, even people who are quote privileged in like you know circles I know who they still spend a lot of their day in real anger about certain things. And- no, I agree. I completely agree with reducing those things. I think my issue is using an extreme example to help people affect their margins. I don't, th- I don't think that's a good, a good way of going about it probably. But this, I, again, I'm just responding to the section you read. Yeah. Um, well, here's another, here's, here's the thing. Um, uh, so he says, he says, amicably divorce your, amicably, amicably divorce your society. Don't get angry at the strangers who surround you. Just accept the fact you're not right for each other. Uh, stop paying attention to things that aggravate you unless A, they concretely affect your life and B, you can realistically do something about them. Start by ceasing to follow national and world news. Uh, then he says, emotionally distance yourself from the people personally you know who aggravate you. Don't purge anyone. That just causes more trouble than it saves. Just accept the fact that you aren't going to change them. Um and he says, actively try to make more friends with people who share your likes. In the internet age, this is shockingly easy. Don't try to make more friends who share your dislikes. You should build friendships on common passions, not joint contempt. But I, I, is he saying anything that's particularly insightful there, really? I mean, stay off social media would be a, a easier shorthand for that, I would think. Well, uh yeah that well yeah i think his view is like you can cut like he comes out of quote his bubble to make a case for things that he personally you know as an economist is promoting or pushing and like i'll come out of my bubble and say the things i need to say but i think it's i think it's just how much do you decide to how much do you decide to like i know people who uh yeah, okay, social media, a lot of people hate follow people or read a lot of things they're angry with or even friends, right? So that one, like, I I think a lot about how people talk about having friends you disagree with and I think there's a default assumption in sort of, you know, an educated circle that says, oh, it's, you should have people who, like, who uh, disagree with you and et cetera, et cetera. And I found that that works a lot in theory, but often actually having, I'm, I'm perfectly happy. I read a wide variety of publications of the left and the right. I'm quite happy to uh, chew on different perspectives. But in terms of my little personal world, I've actually found that my happiness deteriorates from having people around me who strongly, strongly disagree with me on certain things, usually because a lot of people are incapable of having friendly disagreements. So in that respect... But that's it, right? That's the thing is, it's the people... Like dating, I found, is a lot better when you just agree on like most of the big things like politics or religion or family. Like it's not, it's not essential, but it's definitely like just easier... That's just not, that's just not ground, that's not groundbreaking insight, is it? It's like, obviously you get on well with people that agree with you. I think the issue is more, it's 
when people can't let a disagreement go that's the thing that's the thing that's rarer or harder to find it's like if you come from a certain background you meet someone with a completely different position on you but you can still just get on and talk about other things and put those things aside that's when you can kind of glean some other insights from people outside of your world but when when you wear those differences so aggressively on your sleeve that becomes very hard to do um but yeah of course people who share opinions get on better brilliant i don't don't quite understand oh yeah obviously like learning something from people with a different perspective to you can be very constructive depending on what that perspective or position is but it depends what you're doing right if you're just there to have a picnic and they keep banging on about their politics it's not going to help anyone but if you're there to actually like build a policy for a government think tank it might be constructive so it depends what your end goal is i suppose yeah but i i do see a difference of being in a bubble as like you're almost your private facing self and your public facing self where i think publicly it's might be valuable for all kinds of reasons to uh you know i like to as a hobby i like to you know invest a bit and like learn about investment and obviously there it helps to massively look at the opposite view to the one you're looking at because otherwise you'll just look at self-reinforcing sort of confidence so it's good there but in my private life i've realized I do think there's something really overrated about needing people around you who don't, who disagree with you. I think there's people who challenge you. And I think that's different. People who intellectually challenge you in a way where they don't let you off the hook with lazy thinking or bad arguments or, you know, sloppiness. I think that's helpful. But, but yeah, I've, you know, I've been in relationships before with people that like, massively disagree with me on some core things and i found that it was never good it was never good or fruitful like oh this is great we have like this spirited disagreement it was often just a, an obstacle or a hindrance to us enjoy living in harmony or like enjoying it and then yeah like, I, I agree with that but it's not quite the same as creating a bubble is it i don't think i think creating a bubble there's just something a little bit like a, a bit willfully yeah. I don't know, acknowledging, he is very openly acknowledging a sense of entitlement or privilege that he has, which is absolutely his prerogative, but I just don't see what you can, how it's particularly shareable advice. Um, Whereas the like relationship disagreement is, is sort of a different thing. It's like, just, just be nice, right? That's just be nice to people. And then you're not going to have a falling out. Like that seems to be surely a more important undercurrent. You could even say to, I mean, I'm trying to think if someone was in like, someone lives in London, right? Quite a varied city of different types and people. Like even in, even in that place, there's, there's bubbles within London, right? And you can just decide, I don't need to, you know, this bunch in West London who I hate and they make me sick and they annoy me. I'd rather live with my hipster crowd in East or South London. But who doesn't know that? Well, <laughs> like is that not just like you can only have a certain number of friends you can only see as much stuff in a day it's like oh well, yeah of course everyone lives within their own bubble everyone's got their family and got not everyone but people have their groups who are these people that don't do this anyway i i am surprised by how many people i have to say are close associates or friends with people they seem to fundamentally have a lot of conflict with in like their personal personal disagreements and just complete sort of 
you know, it's a it's a relationship that has a, is very fraught because there's just these kind of big personal gulfs between them. And I often I'm not like a purge my friendship group, but I I do think very carefully about the kind of I don't have a non woo woo word for this, but the kind of energy I want around me and mm-hmm. I notice it affects me greatly. And if I yeah, if I, I, it just helps me in my own way to sort of live in a sort of bubble. If, you know, I don't want to sound like one of those personal development, like, nut jobs, but, like, yeah, just, just having people who support me and are positive around me just helps me so much more. Whereas when I've had friends who have been very critical and very... That's sort of, different. I think that's different to the bubble thing. I agree, again, agree with you. You only want to be around sort of positive energy, but I've like the most sort of positive like uplifting people i know might have entirely different political or socio-economic or whatever you know interests or like i read all the time loads of people don't read all the time but you know if i only surrounded myself in the quote-unquote bubble of that it'd just be it'd just be you and me on this zoom call every day i wouldn't know anyone else do you know what i mean like positive energy doesn't have to be from someone who's got exactly the same phd in economics and works at a think tank outlook i think that's that's the bit i'm struggling with here i I like how where do you draw this net around on a bubble i I find it i find it very hard to codify i yeah i appreciate that and i i guess i brought this to the table because i i in some ways i'm trying to look for the uh the fine-grained distinctions and i think you're there pointing to the difference between like diversity of big hot potato opinions or just diversity of interests right and you might want you might want friends who have diverse interests because you know maybe you don't want to maybe you want to friends who don't just sit and read books all day and have other things but but you wouldn't i don't know we have a little you know our close friends uh who we go on holiday with each year george we're all sort of like reader types uh we have similar we like comedy we like um we like a lot of the same things and we're very sort of similar minded but we also know that within those like we're talking about those five people there's like massively different political opinions what you know those sorts of things whereas the guy you're sourcing from it doesn't sound like he would even stand for that so the underlying current there i would say is we're just like uh, nice people who get on and don't let those things get in the way. So that seems to be different to what he says. We all went to the same university and... Yeah, you know, a very sort of niche and fortunate one to be in as well. So I don't see how that's, again, particularly helpful advice for others. Well, I mean, this isn't going great, is it? (laughs) (laughs) One of the things you said or you quoted from him is really spot on that one of our friends in that group was very stringent on doing was avoiding the news our friend ben did that for a quite a long period and found that incredibly like efficiency improving and sort of happiness inducing i think and that is certainly something i do have time for is like why does it matter what's going on you know in some place in some sort of subset of an economy or something that isn't going to affect your day-to-day i think avoiding that and particularly at the moment there's a lot of bad news out there. So closing your mind off to that can be helpful. I I think that's something to, to follow up on. I think there's a difference between like, I find a lot of things interesting about other parts of the world and I'm constantly reading about them, but 
I think there's a difference between that and deciding that your day is going to be invaded by just fear and basically like right now, right, you can see a lot of the news is just inflating, just just kind of also scaremongering and adding to anxiety and trying to find new ways to increase your worry. And I Yeah, think that- I, I feel what's key there as well is that that it's news, right? It's not, oh, I'm just going to be disinterested and not care about other places or cultures or whatever but it's keeping up to date with like the 24-hour news cycle that's that's something where drawing up a bit of a bubble is advisable i don't know if bubble is the right word but what how's your day going to be better if you knew something bad at 11 a.m and then you know a slight update of it at 3 p.m right it's not gonna not gonna affect your day today other than it's probably a bit of a time waster as much as it is a drag on your spirit yeah and that's what i mean i think people will you know, so, well, uh, there's, I, I think there's just a default opinion that there's an ignorance to that or there's some kind of, you're closing yourself off to, you know, what's happening. And, and I think that is a lazy opinion that I think should be challenged because I don't... Yeah, but do you feel yourself beholden to that lazy opinion? Like, who... You just surely refute that by being sort of well-read and well-informed more generally rather than being on top of a news cycle. It's, it's an easy thing to refute. Uh, yeah, I guess so. But I think people use a smokescreen for... They use that as a smokescreen for having to engage with all of this stuff. That's probably uh, but this is happening on social media, right? This sort of like veneer of insight and, I don't know, inform, informed attitude is happening on the sort of very places that make it a problem in the first place. And that's sort of an echo chamber at its worst, right? True. What do you do? Do you filter out like the things you don't want to hear any more of on social media? Do you allow it to sort of keep pop- polluting your feed? Yeah, I've definitely stepped away from social media, which <laughs> is that creating a bubble or avoiding a bubble? I'm not sure. It's probably a bit of both. I mean, I'm, if I didn't need to use it for my work, I would have probably deleted all of my accounts by now, I think. I, Facebook has value for me with like remembering birthdays and messaging people who don't live in the same country and don't have WhatsApp, that sort of stuff. But other, I don't have a news feed on my Facebook account. That kind of stuff definitely helps. But that relies on me then independently knowing to contact the people I still want to contact. It's easier to have that oh dave did this i'll send him a message having that sort of reminder but you just get sucked into a bit of a zombie process with doing that i think so that is is that me creating a bubble or avoiding one i'm not quite sure but i i think we've talked about this on other podcasts i think sort of 24-hour news cycle is real sort of scourge of many things like quality of content quality of content creation sort of plethora of bad opinions that sort of stuff is the product of 24-hour news cycle and constant social media feeds so i'm certainly happier avoiding those but um yeah that's quite a prescriptive way to be but i don't think it's the same as what the guy you were quoting was saying i think that's maybe a slightly different approach it's the on the margins approach right rather than an entirely codified way of being yeah i um yeah, I think that's right. I, I think stepping away from social media does mean you're in some ways creating your own bubble. I think, you, you know, you are... Well, but yeah. just the bubble that the entire world had ever had up until about 2004, right? It's only 
a very contemporary world that that has had this it's not like oh what a wild crazy person like my dad's never been on social media no that's true he's living in his own beautiful bubble every day. <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i mean if that's a man that's living in a bubble <laughs> I, yeah i find it useful to do that even for creative work i find that if i'm too plugged in to the kind of constant noise and vitriol and anger it makes whatever I'm doing creatively, like saying I'm sitting and writing a short story, which is my sort of hobby. It, it suddenly, if I don't live in my nice little bubble, I'm like, I'm so polluted with the sort of immediacy of all the kind of stuff that's going on that it makes your thing seem like, oh, why am I doing this? What am I doing? Like, why does this matter? It's, and it's, it's, it's because you are so sort of polluted by what's going on out there. Whereas if you live in your nice bubble and sort of read the things you want to read, the kind of people that inspire you, the books you love, then you think, Oh, I want to be a part of this world. I don't want to be a part of that. You know, you, you know, it's like novels, right. To kind of, uh, there's lots of people who are so, who find it very difficult to engage with fiction because they're so lost in the immediacy of like everything that's happening around them that are like, I, you know, I can't be patient. I can't retreat enough to even concentrate on this. Why am I doing it? And I think that does come from a way of being too, you, you do need to sort of create your own little bubble to enjoy those sorts of things. Those sort of crippling lacks of attention come from very quickly updated, you know, social media feeds and news cycles, right? Like if you don't have those things to distract you, I've got a horrible feeling you're checking your phone while I'm talking to you right now. I'm actually not my phone. <laughs> Can't see what's below the eye line. But do you know what I mean? Like it, it's those, if you didn't plug into those things, it would be a lot easier to read a novel. Yeah. It's like those, yeah, those attention span distractions. Um, yeah. I Creating that sort of safe, happy bubble. I mean, it's what everyone's life sort of shapes towards, isn't it? I think, you know, building a family, building a group of friends. People are always on that trajectory. It's just my issue is with this guy prescribing it from such a, you know, happy-go-lucky, fortunate position that he has already. It's not always as easy to replicate. Um, no, it's not, it's not easy. Uh, so one of the things, it's not easy to replicate, but I think you definitely can... Um, like even in your job, like so he's got a point here that says, uh, ask yourself, will I take daily pride in this work and are the kind of people I want to befriend statistically represented or overrepresented in this line of work? Um, yeah, I, I think people are always making choices and you can definitely decide to be in a bubble that causes you frustration or a bubble that, you're very happy sort of sitting in. Like when I was in, uh, well, when I was in academia, there was good and bad things about that bubble, but it definitely was like living in your own, like sort of nestled little world. And it was nice, say, having people who, you know, just engaged with all this like heady abstract stuff that I enjoy and felt like it was important. Whereas if you suddenly go out of that bubble, you have loads of people who be like, just not care about that. Oh, of and course. 
of course, but you're not, but you're not going, you're not going to go to a building site and ask, hey, God, what do you think of that paper that just got published? Yeah, it, it, I don't know. It, is that is that like profound insight? Like if you sort of hang around with people who don't share the same interests, they're not going to respond to the interest. Um, yes, but again, like I said, I think a lot of people are friends with people for far too long who. Um, yeah, who they probably they're probably I that's definitely true. That comes from the sort of preconditioned bubbles that we're exposed to, right? Like I don't know, people have loads of like old school friends that they're only friends with because you ended up in the same classroom and often you yeah, you just sort of stuck with those people, right? So that kind of comes from being part of another bubble, the one that either your parents or your catchment area made you end up in. So you're kind of to create your own one does come with a lot of like will and action as much as like really clear and defined interests and like predilections, I suppose that maybe a lot of people don't have determined anyway to know what would be best for them. Um, what do you mean? Well, like, I don't know if you, if you don't know, I a hundred percent, I love reading novels and I want to be a doctor. So these are the kind of people I want to be around. If you don't know those things, it's it's sort of harder to create your own personal sort of moat around the things that you hold dear, right? If you're a bit more open ended or a more formative stage, how do you do that? Yeah. That's what that's what I mean. He know he's a well, a tenured professor at an important think tank and works in economics. He very clearly knows what is important to him and what he wants. That's not representative of ninety five percent of people. I wouldn't have thought. No, but I bet. I guess a lot of people know their values, which I think helps. I mean, like I've said before, I find if I'm around too many people who prize money a lot, it starts to, I, it inevitably starts to affect me and the way I see myself and the way I start to see, like, oh, I should, I guess I should be chasing money because mm. these people care a lot about money. Yeah. And, starts to kind of pollute me in a way I don't like where if I like I feel myself slipping into a different bubble right where oh these people only care about money and success whereas there might be other things that I'd rather be around people who care about ideas and yeah uh, interesting things and you know you know education or whatever and I guess that's the part where I mostly see it being hugely useful for me as a kind of as a kind of just a compass for creating a bubble of people who reinforce not what I think all the time, because I change what I think mm. all the time, but what I value and care about. It, it helps me a lot to just live in a bubble. And, and like those people over there who just care about, you know, like I don't follow loads of like Instagram models or things. Cause I know if they're just on my feed all the time, it suddenly makes me feel the world is very superficial and it's kind of unpleasant. And I feel like, God, it's all about looks and superficial stuff. And, I just don't enjoy the way that makes me feel. Yeah. And like, like, for example, there's a, you know, when everyone was crazy about Love Island, right? In the UK. Yeah, sure. I, I heard that was very entertaining. Um, I haven't actually seen it, but I just knew there was no conscientious objection to it. And I'm sure if I watched it, I'd be entertained, but I just kind of didn't want that as part of my world at the time. I just don't want like those kind of people who I find 
silly and vain and superficial. I just think, ah, oh, if, if I'm seeing that all the time, it's it just kind of starts to affect the way I think a bit. Definitely, I think I think we may have talked about it before as well. Like I'm very anti sort of like algorithmic determination of the culture you would like, right? Like, oh, if you enjoyed this song, watch or listen to this. You can you can very quickly get sucked into just this self perpetuating content has been created to perpetuate the way it is presented to you right and then you just it, it becomes like a bubble of the same songs every chorus is the same the way the intro starts is the same to capture listeners and you can yeah it sort of culture is affected in the same way i think as you know personality types and stuff and the way that we serve these things to ourselves with these different like social media platforms and stuff you can you can very quickly end up even with the right intentions, well away from where you would want to be if you had more autonomy over what you want to like bring into your into your world, I think. Yeah, like I find choosing the right mentors, the right kind of ins- inspiring figures, even alive or dead, it, it kind of helps. Like that, again, just helps give me a kind of direction as to, like it's an act of will to choose who to uh, venerate or mm. And that affects how I think about my decisions or what I'm doing. And yeah. Um, yeah. But, but, I, but I'm also a very omnivorous person like you in terms of the uh, interests I have. So I definitely don't advocate living in a bubble where you don't experiment with many things you wouldn't enjoy. Like that's, like that's one of the pleasures, right? Is trying the new music or the new films. And- well, that's it. It says the article writer knows exactly what he likes and does. So there, there doesn't need to be too much room for exploration apart from within the subset of that world. Whereas maybe if you're at a bit more of a formative stage, it's kind of, it's like, counter, it's like counterproductive advice. Uh, well, yeah. If you, if you take it the wrong way, it's definitely counterproductive. It definitely... Uh, yeah, would enable you to live in a very hermetically sealed place that doesn't challenge you. But um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, it was just one I'm interested to chew over because I think I, I go between being challenged by the things around me and constantly seeking out new challenges and viewpoints. But I do also find that there's uh, there's things that I'm much, much happier if I just almost they just don't enter my world ever at all yeah um, like perhaps something like the love island thing or something if i just sort of like that's a big cultural thing right now and if i just completely ignore it i'll just be happier than even bothering to like yeah. but that's also there's so much stuff like so much culture that i don't know <laughs> indian flute music it's not it's not on my radar i don't know anything about it there's it's sort of you know, bubbles are created all the time by just like accident of geography or time or all those things, right? There's there's a million things that we don't have any knowledge of, interest in, or if we knew about, would have any want to investigate further anyway. That, that sort of happens by default, just by the nature of where we are. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe maybe the uh, Indian flute music or whatever is the bubble you need. need to could, could be the one for me. I don't even know if that's a real one. I, I think it might be. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. I, I think the problem with this bubble thing is definitely the pejorative sense. When when you often think bubbles, you either think these sort of self-reinforcing 
like self-reinforcing liberal bubble is a typical one or these kind of dark, ominous sort of right-wing self-reinforcing corners Mm -hmm. of reddit or something where you think those people live in a crazy bubble where they live with their ranty you know ranty crazy misogynist views or whatever and like spout all this vitriol online and so there's kind of these dangerous forms of but i I don't know if yeah i guess i guess that's a distinction i make i see them as more the uh the negative version of a self-reinforcing bubble but i think of more of a bubble as surrounding yourself like that Rousseau, uh, not Rousseau, Voltaire, who talked about in Condide at the end, he sort of concludes like, we can't really, he is a kind of cynical book, but it's like, we're not going to change what everyone else thinks. We're not going to change politics or all these big things like religion, but we can tend to our own garden and we can kind of cultivate our own garden the way we want it to be uh, and kind of live happily in that. And there's something to that, I think. Um, Something to accepting that, you know, just living in sort of trying to trying to live in fight mode and trying to like have all these things come in and think they're not going to affect you is probably uh, probably not going to happen. Yeah, I I think you can apply applying filters to things that you know are going to not sort of edify your experience is a smart and sensible thing to do. Um, But I, I going to I mean. In a way, like choosing if you went to the pub or not a lot, right? Well, that would be like if you didn't engage with, if you're in England, didn't engage with like pub culture, right? You're kind of choosing to live in a bubble in a way where you're like, I'm just not going to be around people who drink a lot. I'm going to kind of just live in my sort of, you know, if you're a kind of healthy living gym bunny vegan type, you might just be like, I'm just not going to engage with the drinking part culture at all and live. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but that that just becomes such after a while. It just becomes such a broad point, though, doesn't it? It's just like people that go to the gym aren't going to be going on a bender. People who are really into circus skills aren't going to be going to, you know. It's just like there's subsets, there's subgroups. We know this. It's like if you can find one that works for you, that's that's sort of brilliant, and you're going to enjoy being around it because it's a thing you enjoy doing, and probably like-minded people will be there too. Do you think, as a dating tip, mm-hmm. that... I'm the man to ask. <laughs> um, you're the engaged one on this podcast, so... Sure. Do you think that people should almost take a, a much more targeted approach of dating within their sub-subculture? Like, just really look for, like, people who are extremely close to you on the things you like? Uh yeah, without having thought about that too much, I would think that's a good starting point. But I would use the bubble with which to do that as my as a circle of friends, right? If using that as a jumping off point, probably like y- your circle of friends is a really good way to sort of vet. You'd hope who you'd like being around, as long as you're not like hate friends with everyone, um, and then use that as a means to sort of branch out and meet new people. And or, yeah, if you go, oh, I love going to the gym, then that's going to be a better place to find someone you're going to have shared interests with than if you go to a classical music concert or vice versa. But, yeah, I, I would use the network. I would hope or assume most people like cultivate a network of other people that they enjoy being around, and then I would just use that as an extension for that. Um, yeah. 
that yeah but conversely you could meet someone backpacking in thailand who'd never otherwise ever come across who could tick all the boxes of things you enjoy as well so yeah the world the world's a really big <laughs> the world's a really big place isn't it so it's sort of you've only really got a limited palette to work with within that because you're never going to be able to do or try everything so you have to just pick the most efficient and effective alleyway to pursue i guess does that sound right yeah yeah <laughs> sure good uh, yeah well uh I, Steve, can yeah. i just quickly say we're doing this over a video call steve's wearing a gray woolly hat and the angle it's at makes his head look like george washington it's like you've got the sort of gray hair <laughs> It's like you're wearing a sort of like wig. It does look like that. I look like a little judge. Enlightenment wig, yeah. It's lovely. Um, yeah, 19th century portrait sheet. <laughs> I'd um, like to carry a locket with that picture in it. <laughs> of me? Yeah. yeah. It'd be nice. Something, something to take with me when, you're, when George... Are we, are we allowed to say what your plans are? For the... mm, save, it, save it for the next episode, I reckon. Save it for another one. Uh, it's not that revelatory, listeners. It's just, you know, just spread the, spread the fodder out for other episodes. Get, I'll get the visa sorted first, then we'll tell them. Right. You don't want that could blow up in my face. Fair enough. Um, what's, uh, what's the plan for the rest of the week, George? A <sighs> uh, bit of food shopping later today, Steve, and then it's my birthday tomorrow. Oh, ho, ho, big man's birthday. Listeners. Um, send us something nice. I think you're in the market of some chocolate eggs, are you? Always in the market of chocolate eggs. Easter was a bit of a washout on that front because of the old quarantine situation. So I'll see what I can truffle up this afternoon at Tesco. Uh, yeah, do. My mum ordered a bunch and sort of really, she always really over-orders on the eggs. So she Over-egged it, did she? She got a lot delivered, um, more than any of us should have eaten. <laughs> I did have a lovely lint one, George. Ooh. And, uh, I had a white Malteser, was, was probably one of the highlights. <sighs> and it had little white Malteser truffles with it. Oh, good lord. They were very naughty. <laughs> um, yeah, so that and a cup of tea. I mean, we don't even have milk. We've not had milk for the last three days, Steve. Desperate, desperate state of affairs here. Why is low? Well, we haven't been able to get a delivery, so it's kind of waiting for us to be able to get back to the supermarket. I've not wanted to go too often, so I'm going to get once more onto the breach waiting today. For waiting for Tesco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Very good. Maybe there's a parody in that. Um, uh, all right. Well, thanks everyone. We've uh, got so much more. <laughs> uh, I'm ready to go. Well, it's just it's just nonstop inspiration during these quarantines, isn't it? It's just so easy to come up with ideas. There's so much happening to me every day. It's just <laughs> the anecdotes and stories. Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you very soon. Um, let us know if uh, you think living in a bubble is a good idea uh you can uh tweet me at stephen h hussey or instagram at stephen h hussey do you want to give your instagram george no it's okay no george is fine uh just look up just look up georgie boy oh, froggy froggy 88 <laughs> uh 
Uh, just look up Boy George and you should find it. <laughs> um, what a plot twist that would be. <laughs> uh, thanks, everyone. Subscribe and all that stuff and leave us a lovely review if you're feeling generous on iTunes. And we'll see you very soon. Thank you. Cool. Um.